Hey, everybody. Welcome to the online service for Collective Church, our live stream from Playa Studios. Happy birthday, everybody. I feel like we should be wearing funny hats and like blowing those like thingamajiggies. You know what I'm talking about? Those things that unravel when you blow into them? I don't know. I don't know what they're called. Anyway, we're excited about today because five years today uh, was our very first service ever. It's so weird. I was just telling some of our team here just how weird it is because it feels like that was forever ago. And I feel like I, it, you know, as, as the milestone of the fifth year, I feel like I want to celebrate it. at the same time, like this is such a weird year that I almost don't feel like celebrating and I'm just kind of content that there's at least a smile on my face or whatever. It's been a difficult year for sure. But um, if you don't know me, my name is Lorenzo. I'm the lead pastor. I was one of the pastors that founded Collective Church with another guy. His name is Casey. Um, Casey's no longer with us, but um, we're excited as we look back at what God has done. We're, we're just excited. And as we come to this milestone, what we wanted to do uh, this morning as we sort of mark this milestone is take a moment to sort of look back and ex- assess the present as well as look forward and look ahead to what God has for us next as a church family. So like I said, five years ago today was when this whole thing started. It actually wasn't just five years ago today when it started, because prior to that, technically, there was 14 weeks of uh, weekly prayer meetings as a core group was, was meeting and praying. And then before that, there was actually literally years of development. We didn't realize it at the time. Uh, that what we were praying through and talking about and wrestling with and, and all of that was really the, the beginnings of what would become a new church. But five years, five years today, it's, it's crazy that we're, we're in this space right now. But um, in, the, in the months, as I think back, in the months leading up to um, our launch, we had a lot of conversations with, with people and um, people who had questions about what we're doing and what this new church was about. I had been pastoring in the city for several years before that, and Casey had um, um, for a few years before our launch. And we would be meeting with people, and uh, they had a lot of questions about what we were doing and all that kind of stuff. And it, it gave us an opportunity to share with people what we hoped Collective would become and uh, really what God had placed on our hearts regarding the, the, the mission and the vision and the values and uh, the culture of Collective Church and, and about our calling to the West Side specifically. And we invited people to join us. If, if what we were sharing in that moment over coffee and many of you uh, were in those conversations and we would just basically just say to people, hey, if that resonates in your heart, if, that, if you can sort of sense that God is calling you to a similar thing, we, we invited people to join us. Not everybody did uh, because our, our calling and our, and our mission and our vision was not something that resonated with everybody. But in the beginning, what we ended up seeing is that God was, was gelling together people with a shared mission and vision, people who cared about the same things that were driven by the idea that we could reach the West Side, 23 neighborhoods, where there's 530,000 people living across 100 square miles, and God has called us to serve the West, the West Side, the people of the West Side. And we, it was interesting because we knew who we were before we even had a name. It, it was very on brand for me because with my oldest daughter, she, she was three years old before we knew what her name was, before we selected and picked a name. Speaking of that, um, 
Uh, the Brickners, Isaac and Shana, they had their baby a couple of days ago, everybody, just so you know. But I'll let them make more public announcements about all of that. But anyway, um, but anyway, yeah, we knew who we were before we had a name. And it wasn't until we stumbled across the word collective that we realized that in a word, it sort of summed up who we were, who we hoped to become, and what, would, what God was calling us to. And, and, and really all those things that God had, had laid on our hearts and what the church would look like where it was sort of summed up in that word, as the word collective describes something that is done by a people acting as a group or something that is shared by a group of people. Starting this church was not about Casey and I burning off some entrepreneurial energy. It wasn't about us just trying to um, start something new because we just felt like it or because we were bored in ministry or anything like that. It was actually a very difficult process. Me in particular, I, it was something I wrestled with for a long time and, and I, I was running really from it and, and, and God had to sort of kick me in the butt on that. But um, it wasn't about creating another Sunday opportunity for Christians on the West Side. And it wasn't about just putting on 52 weekend events a year. It was about people coming together to follow Jesus, collectively investing their time, their talent, and their resources for the mission of God on the West Side, living as embedded missionaries, and, and seeking to reach, teach, and equip people to follow Jesus. That's what it was about. And it was about being in this together before it became a collective, or sorry, before it became a um, COVID catchphrase. So over the years, we've seen and experienced the faithfulness of God on many fronts. And, and some of you remember, and I can't see the chat, so I don't know what's happening in the chat, if anything, but I wonder how many of you that are online with us today were here in those early days. But some of you remember the struggles of, have, of, of us trying to find a Sunday venue. And it, feel, it felt like that search went on forever. It literally went on for years. But um, in the early days, we had to meet in, on Sunday afternoons because we couldn't find a venue where we could have Sunday morning services. And, and, and how at our first venue, and as you may have seen it in the, in the slideshow that played just before our live stream, which we'll also be playing at the very end as well, how we used to have to truck everything in on pallets every single Sunday. And uh, man, it was literally backbreaking work and it was a pain. It was probably the best worst time I've ever had. It was difficult. Um, and then even we moved around a little bit. We had this one other, loca well, one other location before, before we found this place, before we were able to start meeting on Sunday mornings here at Playa Studios. And this was the first opportunity we had to do that. But even in those early days of meeting here at Playa Studios, you may have seen the picture in the slideshow about the pods that we had, and it was the same thing. Those pods would get brought in um, early Sunday morning, and we would pack them up when we were done, and then they would be trucked 40 miles away, and then the next weekend, the whole thing would repeat. They'd be trucked 40 miles back here. We'd unpack all of those pods. We'd set up, and we'd do our thing. It was, it was a crazy time for sure. But getting Playa Studios and, be, and having the opportunity to have our in-person live, it's so weird, like now we talk about in-person. Back then it was assumed. But ha being able to meet here at Playa Studios with our church was, was, uh, was uh, such an answer to prayer. We saw God provide and it brought at that time a sense of stability that we really needed. 
And uh, we've been so grateful for the opportunity to be able to, to meet here. But we believe and have always believed that the church is not a place where, but a people who. Church is not a place where, but a people who. And the church fundamentally is about people. And in collective church, many of us have found in one another a spiritual family. And by God's grace, we've been able to put together robust processes and and the infrastructure to help connect and care for people because people matter. As a collective church where we're sharing in this together, what does that even look like to not take uh, efforts to try to connect people in meaningful ways and to, to not care for people? Because again, having a church and being a part of a church is not just about 52 weekend events a year. It's not putting on these services on the weekends where the, the rest doesn't matter. It's not about the events. It's about the people. Although it is important for us to gather, which is why this time during COVID, COVID has been so straining and so difficult for many of us. But over the years, we've seen people come to know Jesus, baptized, growing in their faith, being discipled in greater ways. And, and over those five years, we've seen engagement that far surpasses the national averages. It's really been amazing. But it wasn't all awesome. Um, as many of us remember, there was times where we were tested, whether it was the, the times where we were just crying out to God for a venue so that we could get together on Sunday mornings, or whether it was when we um, lost our, our teaching pastor who, who left after going through a really difficult time with his extended family, and that was something that we walked through with him. And we love Casey, and it was difficult to, to see him going through that time, and it eventually led to him just moving on, and they're living now in um, Boston, and they're doing great. We connect often, and it's so amazing to see Casey and his family thriving, but Casey was very much a part of our story as he was our teaching pastor uh, for many years, and, and, but God has sustained us, and even during that time when we were going through that disruption, of, of Pastor Casey leaving, that is an event and that is something that is typically very disruptive within a church. And there, it, it creates a lot of volatility uh, traditionally and typically. But we saw that how God was so faithful, you guys rallied and we saw that there was, there was a stability there and there was, there was, uh, there was sort of a stable reaction. And, and, and at that time, it was the reminder of why we're here, why we're a part of this and why we are doing this. And it wasn't about a person, it wasn't about a man, it wasn't about a preacher, but we were centered around the reality of who Jesus is and what it means to be on his mission here on the West Side. And then we got the opportunity to sort of build a small staff. In September of last year, we were able to bring on April as our operations coordinator, and she has been absolutely amazing. And I just wish our church could truly know how valuable of an addition that she has been. And uh, she, is, she has been such a gift from God, and, and uh, we're so grateful for the ways that she serves and just keeps everything running and working, and the way that she even makes so many sacrifices that so many in our church are unaware of, and um, we're just so grateful to have her. And then a month, about, a, about a month later, we brought on Pastor Ryan as our new teaching pastor, so that was last fall. 
And, uh, and that was about four or five months after Casey left. And so um, at that time, it was, once again, it was, a, it was something that we really, really needed. And having Ryan join the staff and, and him and his family becoming to, uh, coming to be a part of Collective Church has been such an amazing thing. And we're so grateful for them. And, and uh, everyone knows Ryan as the teaching pastor, as, that, as yes, that is his, his primary role. But he brings so much more to Collective and to uh, our pastoral efforts. And, and I've been so grateful for the opportunity to be able to, to serve with him. But the weird thing and uh, the kind of like sad thing is that we were just moving into 2020 with Ryan and just getting things rolling when the, um, when the pandemic hit. And so what we're dealing with right now is that Pastor Ryan has actually been uh, preaching in front of a camera for longer than he's been preaching at our in-person Sunday gatherings. And, uh, and that's just really a sign of like what this year has been like. Um, even many of you haven't had the opportunity to really get to know Ryan and Ryan hasn't had the opportunity to get to know you, but um, we're grateful for the outlook and we're just hoping that, that things can turn around at some point and, and we can have a little bit more of that in-person interaction and, and gatherings together. And I'll, give, I'll get into that in a little bit, but COVID has brought a lot of challenges uh, to our church and some have been obvious, some have been not so obvious, but, but still significant. But one of the things that I'm really, really grateful for, even as difficult as this year has been, just going through all of this, one of the things that I'm grateful for uh, that has come as a result of COVID is the greater clarity that we now have about sort of the state of things and the state of the church. Again, like I said, the church is not about putting on 52 weekend events a year, but when you do have regular Sunday in-person gatherings, um, that is not, of a not enough of a metric to even get a sense or a pulse of what's going on within the church. And we've never looked at it for that purpose either. But having all that stripped away and having to suspend our Sunday gatherings, even going through all this and sort of working through the pain points of all this together as a church community has really revealed a lot of things and shown us how we need to grow as a church. And, you know, hardship typically accelerates and exposes a lot of things. And it's not always pretty, but it can be good because you find yourself quickly dealing with reality. And that's sort of how we, that's sort of where we find ourselves. And why does, that, why does any of that matter? Like, why don't we just hit pause and just kind of figure out the live stream and then just pick up where we left off once we can have in-person gatherings again? Why does it even matter about the effect that COVID has had on our church community and what this has revealed and exposed about where things are at? And the reason why all this matters is because nothing has changed about what God has called us to. And nothing has changed about why Collective exists and why Collective was planted in the first place. And nothing has changed about what we believe and how our beliefs need to inform our behaviors. And nothing has changed about what it means to live as representatives of the kingdom of God here on the West Side. And so now here we are seven months later and you're still watching a live stream uh, instead of being able to participate in and benefit from uh, what it means to gather as the people of God, the family of God. But uh, some changes are coming. I alluded to that earlier. We're going through the process right now 
where we're going to be adding a second Sunday service. And you might be thinking, well, that's kind of a weird thing during a time like this, but let me explain. The second service would be an in-person service and it would be held outdoors and that would probably take place on Sunday afternoons. I don't want to say too much because I don't want to overpromise because things are still coming together. But um, that, that's the plan. And we'll be having these, this second service on Sunday afternoons in a local park. And so we'll continue to have our 10 a.m. live stream here from Playa Studios, as always. But this second service will be the opportunity that we finally get to gather together in person in a local park to just to gather together, to get into the word together and that sort of thing. And I want to emphasize that um, this is uh, not in defiance of local health orders. Uh, this is something that we're allowed to do as people remain compliant with local health orders, which means uh, six feet social distancing, wearing face coverings and that sort of thing. And as long as we're able to do that, we can have this second gathering. And we know that not everyone is going to be comfortable in a gathering like this. Some have underlying health issues, such as myself and, and my daughter. And so um, some people won't be into that, uh, but some people will. And so um, and so that's why we're going to keep that live stream, streaming, uh, that live stream going. But both of these options that you'll have, and both will be available to you. And they ho we hope that this second service is going to be something that gets us, helps us get back on track, and helps us to reclaim some of what, what of what it means to be a, a local gathered church, which is so important. And after there's some additional things um, after assessing both the letter and the spirit of the local health orders that apply to churches and our specific rhythms as a local church, our board has given the green light for our neighborhood dinners to begin meeting in person as well. Of course, outside, and that's going to be starting this week. Now, that doesn't mean all of our neighborhood dinners are going to be meeting in person outdoors, uh, but it means that that is something that we can do now. And it's really up to the regional ministry teams to sort of work that out with, you know, the regulars and the locals that live in various neighborhoods to figure out what makes best or what makes the most sense and what is best for those that live in those different uh, regions on the West side. But that is something that we're able to do now. And, uh, and so that... So that's some of the changes that are happening in the very near future and these opportunities that we have to be able to gather in person again and, of course, outdoors and in compliance and in, in accordance with all the local health orders. So that brings us to the present. And, and, uh, and I also, in speaking of the present, sort of looking at and thinking through where do we find ourselves today, what I want to do is I also want to give a bit of a financial update for us. And we've just come to the end of the fiscal year. And, and so we always want to be able to report back on what's going on uh, within the finances of, of Collective Church. And uh, financially speaking, I'll, I'll, you know, I won't get bogged down in the details of this, but financially speaking, we're, we're in decent shape. And by that, I mean, we're covering our expenses. Um, and it's, it's pretty tight, but we are covering our expenses. We're not in debt or anything like that. Um, we're not in the hole, nothing like that. So uh, I just want to say in this year where many have experienced 
financial difficulty within a city that we all live in and are seeking to operate in that is incredibly expensive. I want to thank everyone who's contributed financially to Collective Church and enabled us to have a presence, enabled us to keep things going, at least to, to some degree, for us to be able to continue to do what we can do during this weird time to be a community following Jesus on mission here on the West Side, seeking to reach, teach, and equip people to follow Jesus as well. So thank you to those that give faithfully. We just can't say thank you enough for that. But um, we don't talk about this stuff out of need. We don't talk about this stuff um, out of desperation. We talk about this because we're accountable to you. And even to whatever degree that you think that um, this, is a, this is boring or unnecessary and not exactly riveting must-see TV, um, this is something that we must do. We are accountable to you and we're happy to demonstrate that accountability and report back to you about the things that are going on. But even pastorally, the interest that we have in this is that giving is a discipleship issue. And what I mean by that is that it says something about our relationship with Jesus and how we are stewarding uh, what belongs to him. And we care about this issue as a discipleship issue as much as we care about anything else that is a discipleship issue and every other aspect of discipleship. And each of us, um, it's appropriate for each of us to sort of assess and evaluate from time to time how we acknowledge God's provision in our lives and what we believe about the local church and the necessity of the, lo of the local church and what it looks like for us to invest in the local church so the local church can thrive. The reality is, is that if everyone gives uh, cheerfully and faithfully and um, proportionally and generously and sacrificially as scripture speaks of, it would really be a game changer, not only for us as a local church, but even the ways that we seek to invest in other opportunities. And these same principles of sacrifice, generosity, proportionality, and all of that, that same, those same principles apply uh, in the way that we manage the church's finances. And so it applies to the leadership. And we're under that, the same um, mandate to faithfully steward what God has entrusted to us. And so because of that, uh, our board holds us accountable uh, in providing regular reviews of our finances and sets the annual budget for, for, for the fiscal year. And as, we, as we're seeking to be responsible stewards of what God has entrusted, we have the conviction that we need to put what God has entrusted to us to, uh, to good use and to make a difference in the world. And in this last fiscal year, we contributed uh, about $70,000 to church, plant, uh, church planting efforts and to our local community partners. That's a lot of money, $70,000 we've been able to invest towards these causes. And we've also had the opportunity to help people who found themselves in difficult situations, whether they found themselves unemployed or whatever the case may be with bills piling up. But we've been able to help people this year. And surprisingly, and this was the real shocker this year, is that much of that financial assistance that we were able to provide had nothing to do with COVID. It was unrelated to COVID. When COVID hit, we were anticipating that a lot of our people would need financial help. And uh, we were sort of bracing for that and getting ready for that and preparing for that. And, uh, but with the, as it turned out, the, with the assistance that was provided by the government, that need never materialized. 
And so uh, because of that, there were fewer needs than we anticipated. And so not spending the money that we had allocated um, uh, gave us and, and, and sort of created new opportunities to help people in other ways. And this is where it got really interesting. We learned of an opportunity to help people in our city who are living at or near the federal poverty level and, and who have uh, outstanding medical debt that they're unable to pay. And so you have to keep in mind when it comes to things like, like medical debt, medical debt is debt of necessity. Medical debt doesn't come about as a result of irresponsible financial uh, management or uh, someone going crazy on their credit cards. Medical debt is a completely different situation. These are unforeseen circumstances uh, where people need medical care and they just simply don't have the means to, to, to pay for it. And, it, and then that, that medical debt begins to pile up and, and interest builds and it just adds to the burden that these individuals and families are already, already carrying. And I've had my own share of medical stays and surgeries over the years. So I personally know full well uh, from real life experience what, it, what it's like to have thousands and thousands of dollars of medical debt piling up with no means to pay it. And so it can be an a debilitating experience, just bringing problems on top of problems. And, it can, and then there's like other kinds of ramifications like ruining a person's credit rating for many years and that sort of thing. And so we're partnering with a company that is essentially a collection agency. And what they do is that they're able to, to purchase this medical debt, this, me, this medical debt of these, of these people, these households that are at or near the federal poverty level, they can purchase that medical debt at a discount. And then instead of trying to collect on that debt, the debt can be erased with no strings attached through the donations of others. And so I'm excited to tell you this morning that we've jumped on board with this opportunity and that we will be eradicating $1.6 million of medical debt for our fellow Angelinos who need the most help. And so $1.6 million, that is a lot of money. That's a lot of difference that we're able to make. And in part, we're able to do that through your guys's generosity. And so we're excited to let you know about that kind of impact that we can have. What's going to happen next is that uh, these people that have this outstanding medical debt, they're going to receive a notice that their debt has been uh, paid. Uh, very gospel-y themed, right? Our debt has been paid. Their debt, their medical debt has been paid. And um, a process will begin to to um, help restore their credit and open up new opportunities for them and their families. And so we're really excited about that and grateful for the opportunity to be able to serve people in this way. And so that's what's going on with our finances. And, and so it's not even just about, about what we receive and begging people to give to us, but it's really an opportunity of like, how do we, how do we all as individual stewards of what God has entrusted to us. And then collectively, what does that look like for us to have a presence in this city that is seeking to bless other people with what God has entrusted to us? And as we look ahead, we're still in the middle of this global pandemic. And so in many ways, we're not even you know, sure how everything is going to play out, but we can at least begin to have in-person neighborhood dinners and our in-person Sunday service coming up soon. And as we're set to engage and, and set to re-engage, in these ways, and as we begin and enter into 
what is now going to be our sixth year, each of us has the opportunity to decide what that's going to look like. And again, if you're not comfortable gathering in person, I understand and I respect that. But for those that are, we're inviting you to join us on mission. And even those that aren't comfortable, there's still ways that you can join us on mission by regularly participating in what we're doing, the virtual efforts that we're still participating in. And it's the same, really, it's, it's really the same invitation we gave people in those early days, four or five or six years ago, where we're inviting people to, to consider um, what collective church is all about, and if that is something that resonates in your heart and that's something that you want to be a part of. The, the thing is that we have all made, we've, helped, we've all helped collective to, to, to become what it is today. And the question we need our, to, to ask ourselves is, how are we contributing to what collective is and what collective is becoming? We're in this together. And we're seeking to grow as responsible followers of Jesus responsible family members, responsible stewards, and responsible disciple makers. Where are we at within all of that? And to all of our volunteers, I just want to say, like speaking of contributions, thank you for the ways that you've served. Thank you for the ways that you've made sacrifices. Thank you for, for just over the years. I mean, I just can't even think how this would have ever, none of, how any of this would have ever come together without our volunteers. So grateful and so thankful for everyone who's given their time in that way. So thank you very much. You know, this year our church has been stripped of a lot and um, we've been refined and we've been tested and it's not over. This, we're still in the middle of this season. Um, so the question is like, how will we go into our sixth year as a local church? Today we're marking five. What will we look in a year from now? What will we be looking back on? And I'd like you to, to join us for our prayer night, which is just gonna happen next Sunday night. We'll be giving more information about that, but we wanna definitely start out this sixth year on the, right, on the right note. So I would invite everyone to join us for our prayer night next Sunday night. And um, this is something that we need to be thinking about, how we're gonna respond in a season like this. And as much as um, we want to do things and we think about our response being something that involves action, this really involves uh, our hearts. It's something that's relevant to our, to our hearts. And it's a heart issue as, as much as it is anything about what we do or what we actively engage in through actions. And so we see in scripture how God's people found themselves in a similar situation, at a similar crossroads, in the circumstances that were less than ideal, but yet there was opportunity. And, uh, and so Ryan's going to come now. We're going to take a look at that together. Pastor Ryan. Happy birthday to you. This is my song while I clean the table because no one knows what Lorenzo has. Uh, good morning, Collective. It's good to see you. As Lorenzo just mentioned, man, it is incredible to have another year go by to find ourselves uh, here. Things looking so much different, so much differently. So much different, so more, much more differently than it did before. Uh, but as Lorenzo said, what I want to do today is reflect a little bit on this idea of exile a little bit more. See, one year ago, we started off that fifth year it was really my first teaching, my first sermon at Collective. Our first teaching series with me here last fall was in the letter of First Peter in that series that we called The Way of the Exile. 
As we finished that series in December, I had no idea the sort of exile year we were walking into. We were, over the course of this year, uprooted from the normal rhythms of our lives. We entered into political chaos of death at an abundant rate within our world of confusion and fear. The experience of 2020 has been the feeling of being a stranger in a strange land. The feeling of who we are, where we are, and why we are have all been abruptly and violently overturned. We don't feel at home. This year has been one of dislocation and liminality, everything out of joint, nothing seeming to fit. As Lorenzo mentioned, in many ways, 2020 has been a lot like 587 B.C., See, 587 BC, that year, was the year when Israel experienced its exile into Babylon, out from Jerusalem, out from the land that had been promised to them by God, out from their, what was home to them for generations upon generations into Babylon, into exile. For those people experiencing in 587, many things similar to what we've experienced in 2020, the prophet Jeremiah wrote them a letter in their exile. I believe not only that it was a word to those exiles there in Babylon, but also in being the inspired scripture, the word of God to us is also the word of God to us today. And so let's read from Jeremiah 29, beginning in verse four, as we begin to get a sense of what God may be calling us into in the next year, where the prophet Jeremiah wrote, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease but rather seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners whom are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place, back home. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Over the past few months, I have found a deep amount of both solidarity and encouragement in my kind of personal study of the exile of Israel. On one hand, I felt so much solidarity with Israel because of their response to the exile experience. So much like mine and and what I'm seeing in so much of us of complaining and frustration and self-pity and anger and all of those emotions that have come up within me and that I know have come up within you. And and, in the midst of all of that, this disintegration, this declining spiritual vitality. 
In reading Israel's story, it's just been a moment of solidarity. I'm not alone in the tension that I'm feeling in the some weeks being so bad and some weeks being so just kind of cruise control. I'm not alone in that feeling that Israel experienced it as well. Similarly, though, I've not only experienced solidarity, but a deep encouragement in my own reflection in the story of the prophets, the invitation from them to the exiles like Jeremiah that were written and sent to those experiencing exile, both a solidarity in what Israel experienced, but also an encouragement and a promise and an invitation. Today, my hope in looking at Jeremiah 29 is to receive from him this exile commission given to those of Israel, five, you know, 587 BC to us here in 2020 for their commission to become our commission. That as we continue in what is this experience of exile, of liminality, of not feeling at home, of strangers in a strange land, of that tension that we might receive these five exile assignments from Jeremiah as being our own. These five, what do we do here in this place? As always, the notes are there in the chat. You can grab those and follow along with me. But let's pray and let's get into those five assignments. Father, we gladly receive your word. As, as we go through our weeks, it's so easy for us to begin to lean on our own understanding or the understanding of, of others. And we question and we doubt and we move through all these as we try to put together what it means to be human. And each week, just this time of hearing the word read over us is a reminder that we are not our own, but we belong body and soul and life and death to you. And that is your word that gives us life and guides us in what it means to be your people. And so even more so here in our exile year, would you speak and give us ears to hear? Amen. In this passage that we just read, you can break it down into five exile assignments that Jeremiah gives to those Israelites in Babylon, and I believe also to us. And so let's just fly through these, set them before us, reflect on what they mean. The first, the first exile assignment that Jeremiah gives is in exile, get gardening. In verse five, he calls for the Israelites in exile to get gardening, to build their houses and plant their gardens. Now, some of us have taken this quite literally. Folks like the Fishers who are uh, remodeling, they're in Ladera Heights. They're basically building their house right now. They have heard and, and heeded the words of Jeremiah. Others of you that have you moved into a new house in a new neighborhood, you're getting settled into a new place. This is an idea, a picture of what he's getting at. It's building and planting your roots in a physical place. Now, part of that is the gardening call. Now, what Jeremiah doesn't have in mind is the gardens that, you know, we have in our backyard that normally tend to be more than just one thing. Uh, this year, everything but one plant died and it was just our tomato plant. And that tomato plant only gave us one tomato. This is like 2020 in a pit picture. And as that tomato finally got ripe and red and ready to go, we came out one morning, like literally a day or two away from calling it and pulling it off and having the, sm the world's smallest, you know, salsa bowl is that uh, we came out and we had found that one of the, you know, giant six raccoons that live in the tree behind our house had come down and just taken one bite out of it and decided they didn't want the tomato. Uh, that kind of gardening, I don't believe, is what Jeremiah is getting in, in mind here. It's not flowers and, and some small vegetables. Gardening in the language here, it's, 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 it's farming. 
It's life. It is your sustenance. It's feeding yourselves. It's literally what he calls for there in verse four. Plant gardens and to eat their produce. Gardens and houses take time. They are an investment. And it's not something that it's just for, you know, to make the backyard look better. It's literally your life. Jeremiah's words here to get gardening are about planting your roots into a place. It's a command to make yourself at home in where you find yourself in the exile experience. Over this past year, as we've seen so many people, both within our city and just around the the world and and specifically within our city and within even collective, so many folks moving. You know, we're going to Boise or we're going to to North Carolina. We're going to wherever we're moving. I believe Jeremiah is calling. He's looking us in the eyes for those of us that that are willing to receive it. He's saying, build your houses, plant your gardens, plant your roots, recommit or for the first time, commit to the place that you are in, deep in this city, deep in this community called Collective, and even deep in this exile season. Build your home, plant your gardens, make your life here. The first thing he calls us to is to get gardening, to plant our roots deep in the place that we find ourselves. The second thing that Jeremiah calls us to is in exile, foster family. Now foster family, he calls for what? Marrying, you marrying and your children marrying and you bearing children and your children bearing children. There's all of this language of sons and daughters and marriage. Now, some of us have taken this quite literally as there have been so many marriages that have happened within our community over the past year, that even in the midst of the suboptimal conditions of masks and social distancing, or even just getting married outright on Zoom, that we continue to move forward in fostering and developing and building families of marrying. And on the same time, children being born, as we just talked about, uh, the Brickners and the Moraneys and, uh, oh my gosh, I'm thinking through all of them, the Sylvesters, there've been so many kids, and then expect it, kids on the way. The pregnancies continue to happen with the Drakes and the Megans. I mean, it's just, there's so many babies right now. It's a little crazy. But what this is, where I, I genuinely believe this is the sort of thing that, that Jeremiah is getting at is I get that the circumstances and the situation is suboptimal, that it's not the best case scenario. Nevertheless, marriage, children, foster family. I know for us, the suboptimal conditions of, of pregnancy and then having Arlo being born in the midst of 2020, and many of you experience this, that there are family members, there are grandmas and grandpas that have not seen, truly seen or held our grandchild yet. Being in the hospital, not having people over to come see, not being able to have some of those initial moments, it's, it's, it's suboptimal. It's so much of it is digitally mediated when, when what we're truly longing for is the ability to hold or to see grandma holding Arlo for the first time or to be at the wedding and to dance and have food. It's suboptimal. And so much of it is digitally mediated. And yet it, we're still thankful for the opportunity that grandparents can see. I, I think in the same way that the the biblical motif of family going beyond just our physical blood family to the family of faith, that this year has been another call for us to foster family, to receive from Jeremiah, not just marrying and having children, but fostering the community of faith that is called the church, of us growing, of being fruitful and not decreasing. Likewise, in suboptimal conditions of what exile brings. 
Yes, neighborhood dinner has been over a screen. It's on a Zoom call. Our discipleship group has been over a, a, a Zoom call. And I'm, I'm feeling Zoom fatigue because all of my life is over the screen. All of my life is within these suboptimal conditions and I'm tired of it. I just want to physically, I think Jeremiah would say, I get, I get the exile experience here. I look differently for them, but nevertheless, I understand it. And nevertheless, I'm calling for you to foster family to prioritize the community of faith, to multiply there and do not decrease. This comes into our neighborhood dinners that are even in the midst of them moving uh, to, to being in person in parks that, that might not be for every single neighborhood dinner, depending on who that's made up of. Discipleship groups still being online, so much still being at a distance of masks and not six feet. Is, whatever it is, Sunday gatherings or discipleship groups or neighborhood dinners, may we lean into fostering family, thinking in creative ways to multiply, to grow this family, both in quantity and in quality through this season as we seek to foster it. The third thing that he calls for, the, the third exile assignment from Jeremiah is to in exile, seek shalom, seek shalom. In verse seven, Jeremiah calls for the exiles to seek the welfare of the city. The city that he's talking about is not Jerusalem, but big bad Babylon. He calls for them to seek their welfare or in the Hebrew that Jeremiah writes, it is the shalom. Shalom, the peace, the welfare, the absence of conflict, but also the presence of something better. Prosperity, wholeness, and completeness. Are you looking for your shalom? Do you want to experience shalom in your exile moment? Jeremiah's words is not to seek it for your own self, but rather that you will find your welfare. You will find your peace, your shalom, as you seek the welfare of your neighbors. As we move into this year, what we have found is opportunities abundant for us to seek the shalom of our neighbors in the midst of COVID-19. In the midst of our conversations around racial injustice and what justice looks like at a more uh, large rate, those have all been conversations about what it means to seek the welfare of our city. As we move into an election year, may the guiding principles be behind as we vote and as we pray, as we think that we are seeking the welfare, not of ourselves, but of our city. We are called we are called in all of these things to be seeking shalom through gospel conversations with those that we know that are, that are far from God. You see, exile tempts you to turn inward. It is the scarcity mindset that we saw in the grocery stores at the beginning where I'm gonna take as much as I can for myself. I'm gonna care for myself and look out for me and mine. And what Jeremiah calls us to is not to turn inward and looking and trying to protect our shalom, but rather to move outward with generosity, looking for the shalom and benefit of others. And that in doing so, counterintuitively, we'll find our peace and shalom, our welfare. Before moving on, don't miss the two-part command here, that we are called to both seek the shalom of our city, the welfare of our city, and to pray for it. That, that prayer must complement our works in seeking for shalom. This is why, you know, we have, we, we call everyone to enter into regular rhythms of personal prayer, but then even through things like our upcoming prayer night, opportunities for us not just to seek the welfare, but also to pray for it, to pray to the God that he would work within the city that we find ourselves in. Our fourth exile assignment 
is to study scripture. Now, where, where is this in here to study scripture? In verses eight through nine, we see the prophet lambast and go after who he calls these false dreamers, these false prophets. And there's a handful of these false prophets who had made their way into the exile with the Israelites. If you have your physical Bible open here in 29, we hear about another one of them, Shemaiah, who he brings a false prophet. And all of these false prophets, when you look at the content of their message, it all revolved around that exile is going to be over soon, that nobody really deserves to live this way. And what their words did is they fostered discontentment and apathy and nostalgia for the past within the people of Israel. Out of this discontentment and apathy and nostalgia, what grew within those exiles was a spiritual laziness they kind of just felt like we'll put pause on everything until we get back to Jerusalem. They become parasites of one another and of the Babylonian community at large, not giving, but just receiving as they kind of just got idle and lazy. They became irresponsible in their relationships and they became indifferent to the deeper needs, not only of themselves, but of one another and the city at large. Jeremiah calls for those Israel exiles to reject the false word of God that comes from those voices that seek to stir up apathy and discontentment and nostalgia, to silence them. And in doing so, to receive the true word of God, which in this case is Jeremiah's letter, speaking on behalf of the Lord. For us, it goes beyond just Jeremiah 29 to all of the scriptures. This is what I mean when I say in exile, study scripture. To study scripture is to reject the false versions and visions of this moment and to dwell on the word and allow it to give us a vision for what it means to be the people of God here in exile. And in doing so, we will find our discontentment replaced with contentment. We will find our apathy replaced with passion and our nostalgia for the past being replaced with a vision for the future. To study the scriptures is to reject those voices that seek to just stir up the it'll all be over soon, so just hit pause. Or wasn't it nice back when? And rather the word meets us in our feelings and emotions and moves us into something new. And so I would encourage you as we move forward in this year to recommit to the weekly Bible passage that Sunday ought not be a book club where I'm the only one who has read the book, but rather something where we come together after reflecting on the scriptures earlier in the week And we come with our questions and our thoughts and our reflections. And we allow this time of teaching to be something that brings us together with a vision. And then our discipleship groups be the place where we work through maybe the unresolved questions that we have or what it means to walk in light of this. Along with this weekly Bible passage, I'm also, you know, inviting and setting before it that we're also coming back into uh, bringing the Q&A. We talked about this earlier of kind of taking a break and then bringing it back in. The way that we're going to transition is to doing this every other Sunday, basically on not neighborhood dinner Sundays at 4 p.m. Like we were doing same time, but we're going to alternate those days to allow some time to pick up some more questions. And then even for me to kind of figure out uh, some little like mini teaching moments within that of some maybe unresolved clippings from the sermon that I want to hit on. And so we're going to be bringing that back next Sunday. And then also there's a link in the uh, Google, uh, there's a link to a Google uh, numbers sheet that we're putting together. Is in, in light of, in lieu of doing a uh, class this year, uh, we're going to be doing two book clubs. 
two book clubs over the course of the fall that you're welcome to sign up for as many as you want. Just two of them, so you could sign up for two of them, I guess. Uh, the first is uh, Esau Macaulay's Reading While Black. This comes out of ongoing conversations I've had with folks who are wanting to continue the work that we began in the Story of Justice series over this past summer of what does it mean to receive the scriptures and the word of God as the thing that can guide us in the conversations that we're having around race, around the identity of black people within our country and justice and even policing. This is like, it's such a great resource. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna circle the wagons and we're gonna talk about it. Because of the fact that uh, basically on the Google chat, if you, or the Google chat, the number sheet that's there, if you're interested in this, please sign up with your email and I'm, I'm still, I've got a couple of options for time and I'm gonna send out to everyone and figure out which one hits most people best. And we're gonna do Reading While Black um, as, as one of those. The second one that we're gonna be doing is Domestic Monastery by Ronald Rollheiser. This is a book that comes out of, why, why this book club, why this one, is for so many of us that are parents and in this moment, trying to just find what does it mean to follow Jesus in this moment when there's no quiet time, there's no silence, that this book, I believe, is, is a helpful resource, and it's very small, on a way forward and a way of re-seeing what it means to, um, to live the domestic life and uh, how, how that actually it can become something similar to a monastery, a, a teaching place for us and what it means to be people of God. And so those are coming up. You can sign up for those. We'll give more details as we move forward. And then finally, uh, before we get to our last little assignment, the other thing, just to cast a vision for where we're going, when it comes to our reading of scripture and engaging with it, uh, we're gonna be continuing in the gospel of Mark in this Discovering Jesus series up until Christmas. And then we're gonna be taking a two week break at the beginning of 2021 with a teach a small, short little teaching series on finding God's will and how to find, or if you can't even find God's will. That'll be at the beginning of 2021 before returning to the gospel of Mark in the series that we're gonna be calling Enthroning Jesus, where we look at Jesus's final march towards Jerusalem, his death and resurrection with us experiencing Holy Week in real time with Easter and Good Friday. So anyway, in exile, study scripture. Finally, the final assignment is to remember that exile is not eternal. Remember that exile is not eternal. Jeremiah calls for these exiles to settle in. That you're, not, you're going to be in exile for a while. It's going to be some time. For them, 70 years exact. Now for you and me, it may not be, we pray, 70 years until we get back to some semblance of normal. It may be seven months though. It may be 17 months, but regardless of how long it is, Jeremiah's words are, this is not forever. Even this experience of 2020, this year in exile, it is a microcosm, a small portrait and picture of the entirety of the Christian life of us living in exile and awaiting return, living in a place that is not our own. Jeremiah calls for a realistic reception of reality. One that comes with a hopeful expectation for God's fulfillment of his promises. And so in these five exile assignments, we have Jeremiah setting before us and God through him the way through exile. And the difficulty of this season, I know for me has come in the absence of one or more of these things as I look back over the past seven or eight months. 
When I fail to get gardening, I get stuck in daydreaming about when things get back to normal. I get or daydreaming about moving to this place or that place. When I fail to foster family, I turn inward with individualism and selfishness. This happens both to me as a father and as a husband, but also as a member of this community. When I fail to seek the shalom of my city, I turn inward and I try to find my own welfare, my own shalom. And I, I pursue self-care to the end point of just being useless to the world around me. When I fail to study scripture, I get formed by the false dreams and visions of the news and social media. And I find myself being more and more apathetic, more and more disengaged or more and more hopeless. And when I forget to remember that exile is not eternal, I find myself met with hopelessness that this is all there ever will be. You see, these five exile assignments come as Jeremiah's word of rebuke and challenge to the exiles like you and me. Eugene Peterson summarizes his words well in Jeremiah 29 when he writes, quit sitting around and feeling sorry for yourselves. The aim of the person of faith is not to be as comfortable as possible. The aim of the person of faith is not to live as comfortably as possible, but to live as deeply and thoroughly as possible. To deal with the reality of life, to discover truth, to create beauty, to act out of love. You didn't do those things when you were home. You didn't do those things last year. So why don't you for the first time maybe try doing them right here in exile? You see, exile forces a decision. This year has forced a decision and we're beginning to see the ramifications of how you and I have answered it. Will I focus my attention on what is wrong and feel sorry for myself? Or will I focus my energies on how I can live at my best in the place I find myself? How can I give myself and my energies to being a responsible follower of Jesus, a responsible family member, a responsible steward of what's been given to me and a responsible disciple maker? We have two options. The French poet Fenelon, he says, there are two kinds of people, those who look at life and complain at what is not there and those who look at life and rejoice in what is. Jeremiah's letter says the same thing. There are two ways before you. And it is just as possible to live out the will of God here in exile as any place else. These five exile assignments are consistent. They are not just for exile. If you look through all of scripture and all the commands of God to Israel, they show up in some form outside of exile when everybody was in Jerusalem. Jeremiah is not calling anyone to anything new and neither am I in this teaching but rather a rediscovery of what it means to be the people of God, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Now, it may certainly look different and be littered with complications and challenges. It's going to require grit and intention and new habits and new ways of seeing and being, but the option of experiencing this is before you. Now, lest you think that I'm all promise and I'm not feeling anything that you are, yes, I am so full of fear in the midst of what this year has brought and what is yet to come. I don't know my way around. I don't know what's ahead. I acknowledge I have much to learn. There's much that I see and much that I don't see. And I don't know at times if I or we may make it. But the reality is I had those same exact thoughts a year ago. I had those same exact thoughts five years ago and 10 years ago. And so did you. 
So has Lorenzo through every single year. So has each and every one. So have you, not even related to the, your church, but your whole life has been seasons where you go, I don't know if I'm gonna make it. And yet you found the ability by the work of the spirit, that grit and intention that you were able to somehow overcome. You wouldn't be here if you didn't. An exile is one more hurdle that is set before you with the big question. Will you move forward? Or will you fall into the delusion that you can simply just press pause on this next hurdle that God's inviting you into? And this is exactly what happened between the exiles of Israel. Some rejected Jeremiah's words. They continued in their self-pitying and in their dissent of believing they could put pause on their spiritual life and their relationship with the Lord. And they descended into nothingness. But Jeremiah's letter was received by others, this faithful remnant who accepted his words and they found promise and invitation of what it means to be God's people, regardless of exile or being at home. And for that faithful remnant, they found Jeremiah's words as a promise and invitation. They didn't lose their identity, they found it. They didn't lose community, they built it. They learned how to pray like they had never prayed before. And when everything they considered, the main stuff of life was taken away, when they lost everything they thought was important, they found what was important. They found God, they found community, they found themselves. As we enter into the coming year, we do not know what the next 12 months will hold. We do not know what the elections of next month will provoke within our nation. We do not know when we'll return to anything that looks like normal, when it feels like we're back at home. And so in that uncertainty, we can continue in distance and laziness and passivity and letting the days happen to us. Or we can build our lives build our homes, plant our gardens, foster this family of faith, seek the shalom of our city, attending to the needs of our souls and to the scriptures and in and through all of these things, seek the God who is here to be found. There is no neutral. There is no pause button. As many of you have discovered over the past eight months, we only have two options before us. For those of us that are willing to receive Jeremiah's words, there is a promise that meets us in our seeking. There at the end of our passage today in verses 11 and 13, we find these words that so often within Christian, you know, whatever-isms gets ripped out of context and appropriated for all sorts of merchandise and t-shirts. I know the plans I have for you, completely devoid of their context of being written to exiles now enslaved in Babylon. And we make it about our football team or we put it on a coffee cup. Even still, I believe these words, these verses were given to a community much like us. If we would ever have the time to apply the context of this passage to something, it is the experience of you and me today. And so I believe that this as the word of God may stand and I pray it does as a verse of vision for our coming year. Once again, 11 through 13, where the Lord says to the exiles like you and me, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, there this shalom, plan for your peace, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I believe God has plans for collective, for you and for me, not for evil, but for welfare and shalom, that there is a future for this community beyond and even within the exile experience. 
And so this verse may be something that you need to print out, something you put on your mirror that you see every single day. You put it as the background on your phone. You memorize it. You pray it on a regular basis. I know the plans I have for you, for welfare, not for evil, a future and a hope. So seek me with all that you are and you will find me. These are pretty words of promise, but how can we believe them? For the original Israelites, the promises of Yahweh, the Lord to Israel in their exile was predicated and based on God's faithfulness in the past as shown through all of the stories that had gone before them all the way back to the Exodus when God freed those people from their slavery to Egypt, that he would do it again. For us, we have a similar ability to look backward not only to the exodus of Israel to see that we are the same God, but we also see that we have the same God that was with the Israelites here in exile and he is here with us. Even more than that, that this is the same God who has revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus and that through his death and resurrection that we have the assurance of all of his promises finding their yes in him. And so our hope for the future is based on the actions of God in the past. All of this makes sense and gives us a way forward in the present because of them. So in the coming year, may you call on him. May you come and pray to him that he has promised to hear you. May you seek him with all your heart and find him. May you get gardening. May you foster family. May you seek shalom. May you study the scriptures as you remember exile is not eternal because God is on your side. May this be the year that we learn in our bones what it means to seek him with all of our heart and to find him in all of his heart. Let's pray.